Hey everybody, it's Jumping Jay from the podcast. Just wanted to let you guys know that this coming Monday, May 10th, 80s Wrestling Cons Virtual Signing Series Monday Night Virtual is welcoming former Olympian, strongman competitor, and wrestling legend Ken Patera. You'll be able to tune in live on their Facebook page from 7 to 10 p.m. Eastern Time, and there is still time to head over to 80swrestlingcon.com to purchase your photo of Ken Patera to have signed live during the virtual signing. Head over to 80swrestlingcon.com. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to another episode of 80s Wrestling, the podcast. My name is Jumpin' Jay. We have a very strong episode for you today. I'm joined, as always, by my tag team partner, Tommy Wildfire Fierro. Tommy, how are you doing, brother? Hey, Jay, what's going on, man? Yeah, talk about a strong episode of 80s Wrestling, the podcast this week. It doesn't get any stronger than the guest we're about to uh, introduce right now. He will be joining us this coming Monday night for our next installment of 80s Wrestling Con Live virtual signing series. A legend in this business needs no introduction. One of the biggest names out there, former WWF Intercontinental Champion, Ken Patera. Welcome to 80s Wrestling, the podcast. Well, thank you. It's a pleasure being with you guys on a bright, sunny what day is this? Is this <laughs> Thursday. Thursday or Friday? It's Thursday. Now, now, Ken, oh, I'm Thursday. I'm up in I'm up in New Jersey, but Jay here, uh, my co-host Jay, he actually lives in Minnesota with you right now. Oh my God, Jay, tell him how beautiful it is in Minnesota today. It's sunny. It's bright. No, cl- no, there are clouds. Tommy, oh. Ken, Ken. Ken's not lying to you, Tommy. It is a beautiful spring day here in Minnesota. We made it through a crazy winter. We had a wild April where we'd go from 80 degrees to snowing on the ground. But today, waking up, it's sunny, blue skies. It's a beautiful day to be in Minnesota. Yeah. Can you believe it was like 86 degrees or something like that a few weeks ago? It, I couldn't believe listen, it. In Minnesota, I tell everybody it's always 30 below in Minnesota. <laughs> it feels like it's always 30 below, but every once in a while, God smiles on <laughs> us and gives us a little bit of sunshine. Yeah, like today. Like now, today. Yeah. Now, Ken will be joining us this coming Monday night for our next live virtual signing. Anyone out there that would like to order an autographed picture of Ken, he will sign it for you live this Monday night. We'll personalize it for you and give you a shout out, say hello to you, and then we'll ship the photos out to you following the signing. You can actually head over now to 80swrestlingcon.com now, select which photo you want, and then Ken will sign it for you this Monday night. Again, 80swrestlingcon.com. But, but Ken, we want to talk a little bit about your career. Absolutely phenomenal career. One thing I want to, I want to talk about first is your series with Bruno San Martino back in 1977. Now this feud, I'm, I'm up here in North, on the Northeast, so I know how hot this feud was. It was drawing big time business. And actually in 1977, you were voted the most hated wrestler by Pro Wrestling Illustrated. 
So you were a top villain and top contender for Bruno San Martino. What was it like back then, especially up this way, how hot Bruno was uh, being his opponent for so many different appearances? Well, the problem with Bruno was uh, he was uh, over like a million bucks. But so was Ken Pater. I was the most hated wrestler. And he was the most favorite wrestler because he had been there for 15 goddamn years. I mean, the people couldn't get rid of him. So Lou Albano brought me in to get rid of that little genie. And uh, I don't know how many times I beat him up. I I fought him three times all around the horn. The horn means Boston, New York, Pittsburgh, Philadelphia, uh, 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 Maryland, D.C., Baltimore, whatever you want to call it. I don't even know what they call it anymore. But anyway, uh, so I must have wrestled Bruno. She was 20, 60, 60-sometimes 60 in, uh, in a year and a half. And uh, I beat him like a redheaded stepchild. I had him on his hands and knees begging for mercy. Please, Mr. Patera, please, Mr. Patera, don't beat up my watermelon head anymore. But I just kept pounding. Yeah. He was a good guy, you know. Well, Ken, this Hello? is an, this is this is an era of wrestling where fans they buy in one hundred percent to what's going on. So what was it like to be the most hated wrestler? at that time, personally, for you, when you would leave the arena, when you would see fans, what kind of experience is that? Well, I'm going to tell you this. People always say, who was your toughest opponent? Was it Bruno Sarmatino or Hulk Hogan or Andre the Giant? Who, who was your toughest opponent? And I said, my toughest opponent, let me see. How about those 40 or 50 Puerto Rican fans up in Springfield, Massachusetts that jumped over the barricades and jumped over the cops with uh, chairs and started beating on me? How about the, let's start there. I think that was my toughest opponent. There was only 40 or 50 of them, though. So we cleaned them out pretty quick. Um, same thing happened down there in uh, – uh, Baltimore. My toughest opponent in Baltimore was about an 88-year-old woman. Uh, she used to come up to ringside every, every time I was there. I was always main event. She come up waving a pair of uh, underwear, uh, women's underwear, uh, because I had bleached blonde hair, and she kept calling me sissy. I said, you old hag, go sit down, get out of my face. <laughs> so security would always have to, you know, take her by each arm and set her back down. I always thought the, she was going to have a heart attack, but she never did. And, yeah, she was there for the matches every month. But uh, realistically, my toughest opponent, I don't know who my toughest opponent were. Was you know they were all tough. I'm, I can't single one out. You know some were better wrestlers than others. 
Are we still connected? Oh, yeah. Ken, what I want to ask you next was you were in the WWF during that time period in the, the late 70s, early 80s. Now, when you returned to the WWF, it was a different WWF at this point. It was mainstream. It was pop culture. And now you had your own uh, LJN action figure. You had your <laughs> own video cassette uh, VC, uh, VCR tape dedicated to you. The, the the total landscape of professional wrestling at this point has changed. What was it like from for you going there from the you know late seventies early eighties now returning and now it's a global phenomenon. So what what year are we talking? When you returned back in eighty seven. Oh yeah, eighty seven. Well, heck. We had the Freebirds coming down to the ring in a limousine with Cindy Lauper, and uh, Lou Albano was running wild, and uh, I mean it was just the shits. I thought it was, they turned it into a goddamn circus cartoon, and uh, you know I was uh, more along uh, Bruno Sammartino's mentality, you know, keep it as real as possible and uh, make it interesting and fun. But uh, McMahon wanted to take it to to the uh, masses, you know. He wanted to take over every territory, which he did. You know, he'd go in there, uh, buy off all the talent. Like when, when I was uh, out here in Minnesota, well, I'm still in Minnesota, what the hell. But when we were going strong out here in the AWA, uh, Vince came out here. I had already been to the WWF twice by then. Uh, you know, back in those days, you didn't go in there and stay your whole career. You went in there for a year, year and a half, uh, six months sometimes, two years max, and then you go to another uh, promotion because there are promoters all over the, the country at that time. But anyway, um, when uh, I was here in AWA, we had uh, Jesse, the body of Ventura, Bobby Heenan was my manager. Uh, we had me, Gene Okerlund, on the mic. Uh, we had uh, uh, Hulk Hogan here, uh, Ricky Martel, Jumpin' Jimmy Brunzel, Greg Gagne. Uh, they were the high flyers. I liked it when Jesse Ventura called them the high flyers um, <laughs> because I used to pound the shit out of them, <laughs> pick them up and toss them from post to pillar. I remember one time Jimmy comes to him, Jimmy Brunzel comes to me after the match and like, Kenny, Kenny, can you stop shot putting me across the ring? <laughs> it hurts. <laughs> I know it hurts. That's why I do it. Yeah, but yeah, we had some great times. Yeah. Well, Ken, I'm always impressed by people who can find success in multiple areas. You were a very successful weightlifter, very successful strongman competitor legitimately one of the world's strongest men at this time in your life. What was the transition yeah. like to go from Olympic weightlifting, strongman competitions to wrestling? Um, and what was it like knowing that you were probably the strongest man in that locker room? Yeah. 
I, uh, you know, I, I was a multi-sport athlete. Uh, when I, ever since I was a kid, I loved football, basketball, baseball, uh, track and field, wrestling. So I had done everything. And in order to do everything, you have to be a superior athlete. You have to be strong. You have to be fast. You have to be very quick, and you have to be intelligent. So I was made for professional wrestling. And uh, so when I got in, I wasn't cocky or, you know, uh, um, uh, anything like that. But I knew when the promoter, Vern Gagne, asked me, well, what makes you think you can be a professional wrestler? And that's exactly what I told him. On top of that, I says, well, I just won four gold medals in the Pan American Games in weightlifting in 1971. I'm going to be going to the Olympic Games in 72. Well, what makes you think you can go to the Olympic Games? I said, well, hell, I hold 62 national and international weightlifting records. (laughs) I guess that's a pretty good resume. And so... He says, uh, and at that time I was in his office, so he calls the Crusher over. Uh, Crusher and Mad Dog, they were in the lobby uh, getting ready to do some TV, I guess it was. So he calls the Crusher over and he says, Crusher, this is Ken Pateri. He says, oh, yeah, I know, I know who Ken is. Uh, you getting ready to go to the Olympic Games, huh? I said, yep, yep. And he says, well, good luck. And then Vern says, well, hold on, Crusher. He said, Patera, you think you could whip this Crusher guy? I said, I don't know. I said, I don't know anything about wrestling. But after I learn what it's all about, we'll find out. While we were in Milwaukee, about a month after I started wrestling, this is the following year, this is 1973, uh, January, no, February of 73, the Crusher and I are tag team partners against superstar Billy Graham and uh, Ivan Koloff. And uh, so anyway, uh, the we're in Milwaukee. It's in February, I think it was. Snowing like a son of a bitch out, a blizzard. And the place was sold out. So there's three or four thousand. Now this is a fire chief told came up in the locker room. Said, "Well, guys, we got three four thousand fans out in the street that can't get into the building, and they're starting to get uh, a little antsy. Next thing you know, here they start throwing uh, big bricks of ice through the windows. They had those old auditorium windows, and uh, oh God, they must have knocked out thirty or forty of those windows. So the cops." They called the riot squad and paddy wagons and everything. And it was about a half an hour later, they got that quieted down and uh, the matches started. But uh, what a night, I'll tell you. I said, is this my introduction to pro wrestling, huh? (laughs) (laughs) You were part of the 1972 Summer Olympics that took place in uh, Munich, Germany. What are your memories about that? What was that experience like? Mm. 
Hold on. Well, it wasn't a very pleasant experience. I was supposed to compete on September 5th, 1972, in uh, Munich there. And we were all at the Olympic uh, Village, and every individual team, whether it be boxing, wrestling, swimming, basketball, whatever, we all had our own condos in the Olympic Village. So September 5th, uh, we were all woken up about 5.36 in the morning to the sound of uh, gunfire, automatic guns, machine guns, all kinds of shit. And I looked out my window, and the uh, compound that held the Israeli uh, uh, team members was directly across the plaza from me. And I could see right there. I mean, I could see everything. And uh, I'm looking out the window. I said, what the hell's going on over there? And then a couple other guys came in. Hey, Patera, come in here and watch TV. The, 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 um, somebody's uh, shooting up the Israeli compound. I said, hell, I'm looking out my window. I can see it right here, live in person. <laughs> so anyway... The next thing we know, uh, now we don't know what the hell's going on, you know. Uh, so anyway, uh, within a half hour, on the, on the TV, they come in and said that the, the PLO, uh, Yasser Arafat, uh, Bill Clinton's buddy, uh, from uh, uh, over there uh, in the Middle East, uh, was attacking the Jewish compound. Well, they they shot three or four of them, killed them, uh, the Israeli athletes, that is. And uh, so, you know, the shit hit the fan. So about by 10 o'clock that morning, the people in charge of everything, they had a big uh, meeting saying, well, we're going to cancel the Olympics. We can't go on. We got to cancel them. <coughs> so anyway, uh, they canceled the Olympics. And I'm thinking to myself, here I trained for almost four years to have a bunch of raghead uh, terrorists uh, canceled the Olympics. I was so pissed off that uh, I don't know what I said. I think I probably said shit, you know. Uh, but uh, I said a lot more than that. But anyway, uh, leading up to that, two, three, well, we were there a couple weeks. We had all these liberal, stupid college kids running around the Olympic Village with these black armbands on. Ban the bomb. Ban the bomb. Because we were in Vietnam at the time. And uh, every day I had two or three of them try to put one of those stupid black armbands on me. and Which didn't happen. And uh, so I said, you guys, why do you hate the United States so bad? Wow, we're just, you know, we're the big bullies, you know. We, we want to ban the bomb. 
so this, you know, people think that this stuff just uh, started happening in the past couple of years. It's been around forever. You know, we've always had these radicals in our streets, you know, pillaging and burning everything. And uh, the powers to be, the politicians, they love it. You know, then they 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 use that uh, as a, a a wedge between the ruling class and the people. The people being us little people because we don't know what's going on. <laughs> well, those assholes, we know what's going on, but we don't have the power to change it unless we go to the voting booth and vote. The right way, not the wrong way. You keep putting these assholes in that keep, uh, you know, stirring up the shit, and we're just going to get more shit. So anyway. Ken, I wanted to ask you, one one of the wrestlers you wrestled, I want to get your thoughts on was Andre the Giant. I'm actually, as you're talking, I'm, I'm looking at an old match you had with him uh, back from 1980. What was it like working with Andre the Giant? Uh, he's my favorite opponent, and I was his favorite opponent. And uh, we, we not 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 in the beginning, but after you wrestle a guy six hundred times, you kind of grow to respect and like the guy. And people say, "Well, how can you wrestle one guy six hundred times?" Well, uh, over a sixteen-year period. I wrestled him in every battle royal that we're ever in, and we were always the last two guys in the battle royal. And the promoters loved it. You know, we had the world's strongest wrestler versus the giant. It was just uh, a match made in heaven for the promoters and the fans. And uh, so I, I wrestled him in probably... 400 uh, single match or uh, 350 single matches I think and then we had the tag team matches we had the six man tags we had the eight man tags and then all the battle royals we must have been in 120 130 battle royals wow and uh, yeah yeah well hell just here in Minnesota Vern Gagne always had battle royal season uh, uh, it was every October, I believe it was. And I wrestled Andre, you know, starting the 1st of October. And we probably wrestled four or five times that week. Well, it went on for four weeks. So I wrestled Andre in, uh, let's say, 20 battle royals every year just in Minnesota. And then over a 16-year time period, yeah, we had battle royals all over the country. So you start adding that up, it's probably more than 120 battle royals. It might have even been 150, 160 battle royals that we were uh, against. But, uh, yeah, whenever we'd go out to eat, he would never let me pay for anything. I got a boss. He called everybody boss. I got a boss. Don't even think about reaching in. So we were over at the Ori house one day. It was a little Korean restaurant down the street from uh, our hotel in New York City, right off of 8th uh, Avenue. 
And uh, we went in there. There's seven or eight of us. I think Dino Bravo and Captain Lou Albano and uh, Rene Goulet, uh, Arnie Skolan. And uh, so anyway, we're, we're down there. I go up and I'm talking to the lady that owned the place. She was actually from Korea. And I said, here, I, I want to pay for this bill. Oh, no, no, no. Andre's already paid it. <laughs> I thought I thought I was going to pull. Anyway, the bill was about eighteen hundred dollars, so I'm kind of glad that he did pay for it. <laughs> wow! Yeah, yeah. How, uh, we have legendary stories, Ken, about Andre the Giant drinking. What's the most you ever saw Andre drink? While we were out in Las Vegas, one. I've told this story a thousand times. It's been written about. It's legendary. And uh, we're out in Caesar's Palace about nine in the morning. We just, uh, everybody that was there, there's eight or nine of us. We all flew in from different cities. But uh, we all got in about the same time, which is uh, amazing. It was so we were at the Caesar's Palace about uh, 9 o'clock. We're all going to eat breakfast. So we go in one of those little side uh, um, entertainment venues they have right off the lobby area. Uh, uh, that, you know, they have a bar and a restaurant in there and everything. And then they have entertainment, you know. So, But not in 9 in the morning they don't have any sure. entertainment. So anyway, uh, uh, Dirty Dick Murdoch, Captain America, he says, Andre, I bet I can drink more beer in one hour than you can. Andre looks at Murdoch and says, oh, yeah? And Murdoch says, yeah. So what do you want to drink? You want to drink Miller Lite? Andre, I don't know, boss, you know, you make the challenge. So anyway, everybody gets a Miller Lite. There's seven or eight of us. So the bartender brings them over, and uh, Murdoch says, now, keep these bottle caps separate, because that way, after an hour, we'll know who, who won the contest and explain to him what they were doing, who would drink the most beer in one hour. So the bartender gets these little plastic tubs uh, back in the day when they used to have coins and money, little plastic things, you know. <clears throat> Probably hold 100 bottle caps in each one of them. So he gets eight or nine of these, and he keeps them behind the bar, and he puts our names on them. You know, Andre, uh, Dick, Patera, Dino, um, Albano, and so on and so forth. So after an hour, uh, Andre drank, uh, I can't remember the first hour. I think he drank like 18 or 20, 20 beers, and Murdoch drank seven or eight. And uh, Murdoch says, well, I quit. I said, Murdoch, you're the one that made the challenge. I said, you're not quitting. You're not going anywhere. So now it's like 7 o'clock at night. 
And uh, the bartender is the same bartender. He didn't let the uh, special events uh, coordinator, the the manager, he came in and told the uh, uh, bartender if, if he would like, he could stay on until we were all done with our nonsense. So that guy was all jacked up. He was pickled, you know. And uh, after... Okay, so 9 in the morning or 9.30, whatever it was, till uh, 7.30 or almost 8 o'clock, I think it was. <clears throat> the match started at 8 o'clock, and we were at, supposed to be at the Thomas Mack Center. 19,500 people sold out. We're all sitting there. Caesar's Palace all fucked up. On <laughs> 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 After the the... the bartender counted the bottle caps. Andre had drank 116 bottles. Wow. Yeah. And uh, uh, how about you? People said, well, 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 why did they use bottles for? So we can count the caps, the bottle caps. <laughs> how so about you, Ken? Said, how many of those bottles were yours, Ken? I drank 44. Wow. Yeah, almost two cases. I didn't quite make two cases. Uh, the guy that took second was Frank Valois. He was Andre's manager at the time. He was another big, big Frenchman. And the thing about Frank, Frank was 60 years old at the time. He's a big guy, you know, 6'5", 320 or whatever. He drank like 68 bottles wow. of beer. But uh, and then Dino Bravo and after about twelve fifteen beers, Lou Albano he switched to vodka, and uh, I can't remember uh, all the guys that were there. Anyway, there was seven or eight of us, and uh, Andre drank a hundred sixteen beers in that time period. Now I don't I've never heard or seen anybody else do it. So his drinking ability was legendary. Still is. That's quite the story, Ken. I can only imagine what it would have been like to uh, be in that tavern with you gentlemen and see this taking place. Say, I would love to hear what you have to say about another guy who's legendary in the business who would become the face of professional wrestling in the 80s and 90s, Hulk Hogan. Your career intertwined with Hogan's in the AWA and the WWF. Do you have any memories or stories that involve Hulk Hogan? Well, you know, I wrestled Hulk about 250, 300 times. I wrestled him every night out here in Minnesota when I first came back uh, to wrestle in the AWA. That was in, uh, I think, October of 82. Yeah, and I think I wrestled Hulk at least five times a week for the next six months. We sold out everywhere, every place in the territory, all the way from Minneapolis to Winnipeg, Canada, out to Denver, San Francisco, Phoenix, Milwaukee, Chicago, uh, you know, Omaha, Nebraska. Every place we went was sold out. And so we were making pretty good money. Vern Gagne was a good payoff guy. You know, back in those days, nobody had big contracts and stuff. You know, that all 
that all came in when uh, McMahon took over the wrestling universe. And uh, think what what year would that have been? A totally eighty five, maybe. Yeah, eighty four. Yeah, eighty four, I guess. Yeah, but uh, yeah, Hulk Hogan was a good guy. We we uh, we got along good. We had great matches, and uh, you know, we it was funny. We we uh, worked on a number system, one to ten. So let's say uh, one would be a headlock uh, into the rope uh, body tackle. Number two would be headlock, throw off, leapfrog, drop down, um, uh, clothesline. Number three would be an arm drag or suplex. Number four, (laughs) anyway, we didn't even call this. We just say a number. And we only knew what it was, you know, what was coming. Uh, so uh, a lot of people, so oh, God, I, I I can never see you guys talking in the ring. Well, you can't see us because all we do is whisper a number to one another, and then we knew what to do. So, uh, but, uh, yeah, uh, Hulk came up with that uh, system. I didn't do it, you know, he he suggested, and I said, yeah, that's that's fine with me, you know. I'm easy to get along. So, Ken, he, bro- he broke in the business when you were down there. Did you, at the time, ever imagine that he would go on to become the, the face of wrestling? Well, in a way... Uh, McMahon liked big big guys with big muscles and uh, bleached blonde hair and good tans, and uh, Hulk fit all those. You know, he was like the California beach bum uh, that invaded New York City and the WWF back in the day. And you know, he was uh, six five, six six. He had bleached blonde hair. He had a hell of a good tan on him, and he always worked out, always stayed in shape, always looked good. And uh, he could play the guitar, you know, bass guitar. He was in a band. And uh, McMahon ate all that up. So, uh, yeah. So, to become the face of wrestling, I don't know. Uh, I guess. What about Andre? Wasn't Andre the face of wrestling? Sure, sure he was. I, I, I mean, what about as far as like going going mainstream, like in 80, 85, 86, at the time when they did the first WrestleMania, and Hogan really took off at, oh. and then, oh, that, I, that, I, I, yeah, during that time yeah. frame. I see what you mean. Uh, yeah, yeah I, I, I could see it because it's whatever the promoter is pushing – the people are going to buy it. And McMahon was pushing Hulk at that time and, you know, making these uh, videos and everything, which had never been done before. And uh, so it was something new. And uh, the people ate it up. So they just kept rolling with it, and it got bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. And... uh, when did Hulk have a falling out with McMahon? When, when did Hulk actually leave to go to the WCW? I believe it was in uh, 93. Okay, 93. Yeah, so, I mean, they had a hell of a run. 
you know. So uh, and then McMahon ran afoul with the with the law, I guess, about uh, selling steroids uh, to the wrestlers or buying steroids for the wrestlers. I don't know. I I didn't I didn't know anything. I didn't know any of that stuff was going on. Uh, you know, I heard whispers about it, but uh, nobody smartened me up to what was going on. By well, I was out of the business in uh, 88 you know I, I i got so fed up with wrestling that i said i can't stay in this fucking thing so i i i uh i retired in uh end of 88 i survived was a survivor series yeah i think my last match was the uh, uh first survivor series uh thanksgiving day 1988 that was the end of november and uh yeah that was my uh, final uh, I wrapped it up then came back here to Minnesota and opened up a health club very successful and I started a limo service very successful and then I had a tanning salon business and then uh sports nutrition uh, uh with uh, sports apparel and uh, you guys remember those zubas sure oh absolutely yeah. yes yeah <laughs> I sold tons of those. Well, the, you know, the Road Warriors were involved in that. I, I've uh, heard Zuba that, yeah. Business. Yeah, and uh, they knew the guy that, uh, I guess the guy that wanted to start that came to them. And next thing you know, <laughs> they uh, they were big. They were in the NFL and with the hats and the baggy pants and, you know the zebra prints and all that stuff, but uh, yeah, that was a hot item here in Minnesota because it started here. You know that's where the road warriors were from here too. You know this is a you know but a lot of people don't realize where all these uh, uh, wrestlers came from back in the seventies and eighties. Okay, <laughs> about eighty percent of them come out of uh, Minnesota, and about twenty percent came out of Florida. And uh, it was uh, quite the deal. You know, like uh, uh, Kurt Henning, Mr. Uh, Mister Perfect, uh, he's from Minnesota. Rick Rude was from Minnesota. Th- those guys went to high school together. Yeah, you know, they're, they're quite a bit younger than I am. Uh, I'm not even from Minnesota, but I've lived here since 71. I, I'm from uh, originally from Portland, Oregon. Uh, that that's where uh, Billy Jack was from too, uh, Portland, Oregon. But uh, anyway, uh, the Road Warriors—they're from here. Uh, Rick Flair—he's from here. Uh, Rick and I uh, were roommates uh, back in uh, in '71 when I was training for the Pan American Games. Rick and I were. We're renting a house uh, over in South Minneapolis with two other guys. Um, uh, one of them was a bartender, ex-Marine. And, oh, God. Uh, we had some party. That was the first and original uh, animal house back in 71. <laughs> Jesus, God. Party, party, party all night long. And here I'm I'm trying for the world championships. 
national championships, Pan American Games, Olympic Games, and all, you know, what was going on around me in that house was diabolical. You know, how can a great athlete like Ken Patera, you know, train and uh, drink all night, act like a heathen, and still come out all right? Well, that's what happened. <laughs> but those were the days. Well, we we hear stories, kind of like Andre the Giant's drinking stories. We hear that Ric Flair lived that kind of lifestyle, and he was doing it even back in the early 70s, huh? Oh, yeah. Well, Rick really wasn't, you know, he drank, but he wasn't a big drinker, you know. He wasn't someone that would sit down and knock down uh, 12 beers and, you know, four or five vodka tonics or anything like that. Um but uh, I did, you know, hell, I, I, I drank uh, 15, 20 beers a day just to help keep my body weight up. You know, hell, I weighed 320, 330, and, uh, you know, plus all those calories gave me all kinds of energy because I, I didn't take steroids. I didn't take uh, other drugs uh, like barbiturates or anything like that, you know, uh, like... Uh, the group of guys uh, that came into wrestling, uh, oh, I guess towards the late 80s, uh, all those guys were jacked up on steroids. And uh, that's why most of them are dead now. I think there's 70 or 80 of them died. And they were all in their uh, late 30s to early 50s. And I guess mo- mo- most of them died right in the, that middle 40 age. You know, they all had heart attacks. Well, what the hell caused a heart attack? You know, tried snorting cocaine and uh, doing barbiturates, you know, uppers and downers, and uh, smoking weed as a as a downer, and, uh, uh, you know, drinking a bottle of Jack Daniels every night. Uh, that's what those guys were doing. So, and then pumping their butt full of steroids. Jesus, God! I saw some of these guys take. They take more steroid in in a week than I took in my whole weightlifting and wrestling career combined. And uh, it, it was just ridiculous. You know, I, I dabbled in steroids whenever I had an injury. But that's only took time, and it was under doctor supervision. And back in the uh, early 70s, it was legal. Steroids didn't become banned until 73 or 74, something like that. Well, my weightlifting career (coughs) had ended by then, and I was uh, in pro wrestling. And when I started pro wrestling, uh, everybody was an alcoholic. Uh, you know, they all drank beer and uh, whiskey. And uh, like Dick the Bruiser and the Crusher, they loved drinking beer and champagne. And uh, and then, you know, uh, here come the late 70s, early 80s. And all through the 80s, is was all, you know, uh, Jack Daniels and steroids and cocaine and pills, you know. 
and uh, then they all started dropping dead. You know, not very many of those guys lived a long, uh, prosperous, uh, healthy career, you know, or life. You know, they're they're all dead before their uh, prime uh, was supposed to be in life. You know, uh, early to mid fifties, early sixties. You know, I'm almost eighty years old. And a lot of people aren't aware of that, but uh, uh, like uh, Ric Flair, Greg Gagne, Jumpin' Jim Brunzel, and a slew of others, they're all 72. But the guys that would have been like 60 to 65 now, they're all dead. You know, they're dropping over left and right, (coughs) unfortunately. Somebody forgot to send them the the memo. You know, don't fuck up. (laughs) (laughs) No. Well, Ken, I know fans are excited for this coming Monday. You're going to be doing a virtual signing with Mr. Tommy Fierro up there in New Jersey. Uh, I'm looking forward to watching it via the Facebook Live link. Uh, the fans are excited. Do you have the opportunity to get out and do many signings and fan interactions? I know the COVID-19 pandemic probably put a halt to some of that, but is this something you regularly do or is this kind of a special occasion that we get to spend time with you on Monday night? Yeah, back in the nineties and up to 15 years ago, I do two, three, four of these a year. And uh, then when COVID hit, uh, you know, that scuttled everything because everything had to be virtual. So we went to these big conventions to uh, doing this stuff on the Internet. And I was in Albany, New York. I think it was back in uh, November or October, whatever it was. Then in uh, uh, December, I did one in Queens. And... uh a couple of weeks ago, I was in Queens again, and so yeah, I, I get out. Uh, I don't know what what it is. I think everybody in New Jersey has a, a podcast, and uh, yeah, you guys are basically out of New Jersey or New York. I'm out of New Jersey, but th- this goes this podcast goes all around the world. We have people from all around the world listening, actually. Well. Yeah, I understand that, but does it originate out of New Jersey or New York? I'm I'm in New Jersey, and Jay's right there in Minnesota, so we we both do it together, so yeah. Oh, that's right, that's right, yeah, yeah. Yeah, okay, well, that's interesting. uh, uh, What do you call these, virtual? um, Yeah, virtual, uh, virtual signings. We've been doing them actually every other week. We just had Stan Hansen last week. And uh, he actually told me to say hello to you. And uh, we, yeah, we, Stan was a great guy. Yeah, you know, I, 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 I wrestled. I was in uh, Texas at the time, and Stan started his wrestling career down there in Texas. I uh, he was, uh, or I was his first opponent when he came to to Dallas, Texas. And I says, "You have a, a knee injury?" He says, "Yeah, I was trying out for the." Chicago Bears, and I screwed my knee up real bit. I you know, so he had it operate on. I said, "Well, when did you have the operation?" He said, three weeks ago." I said, "Holy shit!" 
And he says, well, can you take care of me? Don't hurt my knee. I said, no, nah, you don't have to worry about that. I won't even touch your knee. <clears throat> so that that was funny. <laughs> yeah, he had, he had nice things to say about you. He told me to say hello to you. Oh, thank you. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah, uh, we look guys. forward to having you this Monday, Ken. And again, any fans out there, you can head over to 80swrestlingcon.com right now. You can select the photo you like of Ken, and he'll sign up for you this Monday night and say hello to you as well. Ken, thank you so much for taking time out of your day today. We look forward to seeing you on Monday. Yeah, thank you. I appreciate the opportunity to talk to all my fans. All right, Ken. Okay. Have a great day. Take care. Bye-bye. All right, bye-bye. Bye-bye. And, and there you have, it. have it, former Tommy. WWF Intercontinental Champion, Kemp Patera. He'll be joining us, Jay, this Monday night from 7 to 10 p.m. And you can go to 80swrestlingcon.com right now and select the photo you'd like. And I'll sign up for you this Monday. Also, the link for our Facebook page is on the main page of our website. So uh, you can check that all out. And uh, I'll tell you what, Jay, after today's episode, uh, it should be an extremely interesting virtual signing this coming Monday. I I got, you know, the little tagline that uh, we say about your Monday night virtuals is it's putting a must-see back in Monday night. And I think this one is definitely living up to that moniker. I think this is going to be a must-see signing. Clearly, Mr. Ken Patera holds nothing back. He's an open book. He'll share his thoughts on just about everything. And so I'm looking forward to tuning in this Monday for Ken Patera's virtual signing. Absolutely. And uh, like I said, if you go over to 80swrestlingcon.com now, we have five different choices of photos you can choose from. Uh, And one of them is a picture of him against Pedro Morales. One is a cool picture of him Bobby Heenan and Big John Stun all together. And this photo was taken right around the time where they cut Andre the Giant's hair. And then there's another cool picture of him uh, opening his robe and showing off the WWF Intercontinental title. And there's two uh, posed shots as well. So some really cool images that you can order off of 80swrestlingcon.com. And I'll sign it for you this Monday and uh, give you a shout-out, and then we'll send your photos out to you following the signing. And, uh, Jay, what else is going on with you, man? It's been, like like Ken said in the opening of this show, it's a beautiful day here in Minnesota. This entire week, the sun has been shining, and so spring is in the air here, man. So I'm just excited uh, that when you live in the, in the colder regions of the nation, when spring hits, you can kind of open the windows, open the doors, uh, and feel like you can get out into the world again. So I'm looking forward to that. What's the latest happenings around your neck of the woods as far as the Wrestling Collector Superstore, Tommy? Anything uh, interesting come in or out of the store this week? Oh, yeah, man. People come in the store almost every day and and, and try and sum their collections. And, and it's cool because sometimes, you know, uh, they'll, they'll come in with a, you know, crate of stuff. And it's like kind of like storage wars, man. You don't know what you're gonna get <laughs> until they open the open the container uh, and open the the tubs of stuff. And it's cool, man. Like uh, I had two weeks ago, someone came in uh, from New York, and he says, "Hey, I have 700 wrestling magazines in my car. Do you want to buy them?" Of course I do. <laughs> well, magazines sell great uh, both at the store and 
I do online auctions as well. Uh, if you're on Facebook, you can actually look it up. It's 80s Wrestling Auctions. It's a group, 80s Wrestling Auctions. And uh, every day we, we post different magazines and uh, different merchandise with a starting bid, and you can bid on it. And, and usually we do them until 11 p.m. Eastern time. So throughout the day you can bid, and then you can go at nighttime and up bid someone if you want some. It's fun. A lot of people take part in it, and magazines are a big part of it. So uh, when the guy says, hey, I have 700 magazines in the car, you want to buy them? Of course I do. Bring them in. Uh, but, yeah, you see some you see some crazy stuff that comes through the doors, man, and uh, I'm enjoying it. And next weekend, we have a big one. Uh, we have a triple shot weekend uh, next weekend at the Wrestling Collector, Jay. We have uh, Eugene, former WWE, WWF star, appearing there next Friday night. He'll be there from 5 to 7 p.m. And then next Saturday, we actually have a, a real interesting one. Former 80s WWF women's wrestler, Princess Victoria. She will be making a super rare appearance at the Wrestling Collector next Saturday. That'll be from 11 a.m. to 2 p.m. And then next Sunday on uh, the 16th from 12 to 2 former WWF Tag Team Champions, Axe and Smash, Demolition, will be appearing at the Wrestling Collector. So a big three days. We'll talk about it more next week here on the show. But uh, if you live in New Jersey area, make plans to uh, come join us next weekend, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, at the Wrestling Collector. It's located on Route 23 in Stockholm, New Jersey. Again, Route 23 in Stockholm, New Jersey. 2772 State Route 23 Stockholm. I'll be there all weekend next weekend with uh, all these uh, amazing guests coming in. And uh, and then I have a, and then the following Monday, I have a, a, a double signing with uh, Darren Young and Eric Rowan. So that's to be four days in a row of signings, Jay. So I'll probably, and then the following day, I'm doing a trivia night at the Wrestling Collector with David LaGreca from Busted Open Radio. Uh, obviously one of the most popular big name uh, wrestling radio shows out there. So I'll be five days in a row of doing things. I'll probably want to go crazy by the time it's over with. Man, what a schedule, Tommy. You're living the dream. That's all amazing stuff. But I, I have a serious question. I know yeah. Sundays are Mama Fierro's shift at the Wrestling Collector. With Demolition <laughs> coming to town on Sunday, is your mom going to be donning some face paint for that special event? <laughs> Can we get Mama Fierro in some face paint? <laughs> you never know, buddy. You never know. But she will be there because uh, I definitely won't be able to, to work the front counter because I'll be busy, uh, I'm sure, uh, helping uh, move people in and out of there because I'm sure we're going to get a nice turnout for demolition. I know people that have been coming in the store have been uh, talking about it, looking forward to it, so... Big triple shot weekend next weekend at the Wrestling Collector. I'm excited for you, man. That is all amazing stuff. Well, we're just about to the end of the show. And as you know, we love to end each episode of 80s Wrestling, the podcast with a segment called Ask Tommy Sheik. And I know last week, man, I really upset him. Uh, I thought I had a decent question, but it clearly it didn't sit well with him. I don't know if you're able to talk him into into coming back on today uh or, or if he's just had enough of me but if he's around the house i don't know if you can find 
Tommy Sheik? Uh, let me check. Tommy Sheik, uh, Jumping Jay from 80s Wrestling, the podcast, uh, wants to know if he can ask you a couple questions. Fucking a question! No more question! You there, Jay? I, yeah, I, I'm here. Hold on, let me, I, let me try it. Yeah. Uh, Sheik. Sheik, Jay has a couple questions. Fucking a question! Little more question, Baba! Hello? 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 Is, is this, is this Mr. Sheik, sir? Mr. Mr. Sheik, this is Jumpin' Jay from uh, 80s Wrestling, the podcast. L- listen, we just we just had a very interesting conversation uh, with Mr. Ken Patera, and, and he's known as being a strong man, but I know you you were kind of a body guy. You were pretty strong strong as well. I'm just wondering, compared to Ken Patera, do you think he was a little bit stronger uh, than you? Hello? Tom, Tom, Tommy Sheik, are you there? Oh man, I guess I guess I, I I upset him on that one. Tommy, are you there? Tommy, I listen. I don't I don't know what just happened, but clearly, Tommy Sheik did not take kindly uh, to me asking him about his strength compared uh, to Ken Patera. So we'll have to catch up with Tommy and the Sheik. Uh, on, on next week's episode. Uh, but again, if you're interested in seeing a virtual signing with our special guest from today, Mr. Ken Patera, it's happening this Monday on the 80s Wrestling Facebook page. You can catch all the action from 7 to 10 p.m. Eastern time. And there is still time to purchase a Ken Patera photo to have signed live at the link below. All you got to do is head to 80swrestlingcon.com that's 80swrestlingcon.com. This is Jumpin' Jay. That was Tommy and the Sheik. Uh, until next time, thanks for joining in on another wild ride known as 80s Wrestling, the podcast.